joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Take your Bibles out if you want to and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, that's where we're going to be here in just a few moments. You see from uh, the title of the lesson, uh, When God Doesn't Make Sense, Do You Trust Him? And, and, that, and that's kind of a uh, a play on a question, if you will, it's, uh, we, we know that um, God's ways, God's direction, God's commands, anything God says or wants of us, it, it always makes sense. Uh, there are just times in our life where God has all the information and we don't necessarily have all the information. God says, I want you to go this direction and God knows how it's going to end. He knows how it's going to turn out and these different things, but we're just kind of uh, standing here looking into the situation without without the know-it-all, okay, like literally without knowing all of what's going on, and, and we can question, God, what, what you're asking me to do here really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't understand the big picture. I look at it a lot like being a father myself, and when you tell your kids to do something, and they have that three-letter word that they kind of come back with, why? Why do you want me to do this? You've told me to do such a, why do I need to do that? And of course, you know, I, I guess the answer that always got on my nerves growing up, which is the answer I use now, is because I said to, right? I've told you to do something. I expect, well, why? Because I'm in charge and you're not. And, uh, you know, we have that relationship with God sometimes. God says, hey, I want you to go here. I want you to serve this way. I want you to grow in this way. And we look at it and we go, God, I, I don't understand exactly what you're wanting from me. I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. I don't have all the picture, to the, all the pieces to the puzzle right here, right now. And so I, I'm not going to. I, I'm just going to keep on kind of doing it my way until I get all the information that I need from you. But one of the things I want you to know about God this morning, above all, is that God is reasonable. God is reasonable. He never asks us to do anything that doesn't make sense from his perspective. And that's the important part of that statement. From his perspective, everything he asks of us, everything he wants of us, everything he commands of us, every, everything makes sense. He is reasonable. And we need to understand that as we go into our relationship with him. But as we get into 2 Kings chapter 5, we see kind of a real life moment with this idea. A moment that God has asked someone to do something, and he looks at the situation and he goes, why? Why do you want me to do it this way? And I think one of the things that I, that I learned and that I hope that you, you take from this is most of the time when we're in moments like that, we don't ultimately understand God's reasoning until we get to the point of obeying what he's asked. If we just choose to say, no, I don't understand it, I don't get it, I don't, I, what you're doing doesn't make any sense, 
we walk the other direction, then we never get to the place where we get to say, oh God, I get it now. I understand. I see what you're trying to do. I understand what the, the big picture looks like now. When we just go say, hey, look, I'm, I'm not going to do it because I don't understand it, God, we miss out. We miss out on blessings. We miss out on, on maybe even salvation to that point. And so we're going to see this story play out in 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to we're going to take some time and, and look at some things through it this morning that hopefully helps us draw closer to God. So let's start in um, let's start in verse one. Oh, it might help if I turn that off. There we go. All right. Start in verse one. Read verses one through three and kind of set the stage of our story today. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the kings of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her uh, mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Okay, so let's, let's set the stage of, of kind of what's going on here. We've got, we've got Naaman. Naaman is a great, powerful, mighty, valiant leader of this army. This army has a tendency that they... History tells us that they did not really like to kind of do their own work. Instead of growing their own crops and having their own things, what they like to do is go into other places, take from them, and bring back, all right? So it just kind of cuts out the work, you know, involved to some degree. And along with that, they would, they would take uh, young adults, children from the lands that they had tried to conquer, bring them back in as slaves and to do some of the work that they didn't want to do. That was a very natural thing for that time and that place. But in this moment, you've got this great, powerful, mighty warrior who had done great things and had conquered great things, but all of a sudden, he's faced with an issue that no matter how powerful he is as an individual, he cannot overcome it. And that's this leprosy. I mean, I mean it's a death sentence. There's no way for him to really be cured of it, to be healed of it. And as he's probably trying to hide it, it, it probably caused a lot of anxiety. He probably hid it as long as he could. And then his, his servant, you know, one of the servants, one of these Israelite girls that has been brought into his house, even though she's not at home anymore, that idea of God and what God's prophet can do and is capable of doing is still part of her, her DNA, still part of her fabric. And she comes into the situation and she says, okay, you've got an uncurable situation here. But I have an answer, and the answer is a man of God. The answer is the prophet that lives in Samaria. And so now he's faced with this idea of, do I go see this prophet or do I not go see this prophet? So this whole story, this whole story is about decisions, about when I'm faced with something that I don't understand, do I trust in what God is offering and do I step into what God's offering, even if I don't understand all of it? And this is the first moment. He's got to decide, am I going to go and do this? Am I going to go see this guy? Or am I just going to be like, oh, no, nothing good comes from there. All right, so let's keep on going. Verses um, 4 and 5. I'll get to it here. Hold on. 
I've missed four and five here somewhere. I guess let's look at it in my Bible then. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him uh, 10,000 talents of silver, 10,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took, uh, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. So he loads up everything, all right? He loads up everything. He's got uh, he's got a ton of money with him. He's got nearly $50,000 worth of silver, nearly $100,000 worth of gold. He's got 125 pounds of clothes. And this wouldn't have been just, you know, off-the-rack clothes from Walmart. This would have been the nicest of the nicest that only this guy could afford, all right? He's in this upper echelon of society. He's bringing the absolute best, and he goes to the king. King says, yeah, go. I will send this letter with you. And he shows up with this letter. Now, what's the response? What's the response? As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he may be trying to pick a quarrel with me. What's his thought? His thought is like a lot of people's. I can't cure leprosy. This is a trick. You have sent this guy over here to me. You've said, hey, do this for me. And what's going to happen is I'm going to say, I can't. He's going to go back to the king. And the king's going to be like, well, he refused to do this. So it's going to be tension. And it's going to lead to a fight. And it's going to cause all of these problems. All of these problems. And, and there's just this fear. There's just this fear. There's not trust. There's not understanding. There's just fear. Well, fortunately... Word kind of gets out. It kind of leaks, kind of gets back around uh, to where it needs to go, if you will, so that he can get the help he needs. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands over the spots and cure me of my leprosy. Are not... Uh, Aban and uh, Pephara, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. So I think what you're seeing in, in, in Naaman right now is, is, not an, is not a necessarily abnormal for someone of his position. This guy is used to all the pomp and circumstance. He's the leader of the army. When he walks into a room, there is a level of respect given him. There is you know, this, this honor that comes along with that. And he's like, hey, I'm here to be healed. I've brought all these gifts with me. I mean, when, he, when his caravan rolled up, I mean, he, didn't just, he just didn't roll up and, you know, on a donkey and was like, hey, come help me. I mean, how many of you have ever been watching the news and you actually see a presidential caravan? Like when the president goes somewhere, a lot of times you just see, you know, 
the, the beast, the limo that's driving by, or a couple of them that drive by. But if you ever really watch, I mean, there's all these people that go in front of the president, all these emergency vehicles. Then there's a military presence. There's a couple of ambulances. There's a couple of buses that's carrying the press. There's vans. I mean, it's a mile-long ordeal. And that's what this guy rolls up in. And he comes out, and he, what's he expecting? He's expecting a show. He's expecting the respect that he always gets. And what does Elisha do? What does he send out? A kid. What if you showed up at my house expecting something grand and great, and I send Vance out, and he says, hey, thanks for coming. Have a good day. And like, that's it. Like, what if Vance is the kid that shows up to answer your, your pressing question? How would you feel? And that's what this guy's feeling. And he is so mad. And he's so aggravated. He thought that it was going to be so much different. And basically, he's like, you know what? This guy came out and said, basically, hey, go take a bath in the river. That's all you got to do. Go take a bath in the river. And he's so just like, he, he, he's, he's fixing to miss out. He's fixing to miss out. And here is where I believe the story really begins to impact our lives. See, what Naaman's problem was is Naaman says, I don't see the connection. He says, I know what my needs are, and I heard that you have the solution, but I don't see the connection in my needs and your solution. He says, I don't see the relationship between dying of leprosy and dipping in some river that's just muddy and gross and dirty. You see, when God asks us to do something that doesn't make sense, the problem is ours, not God's, correct? We say, God, if you'll explain it to me, then I'll do it. But if you don't see the connection, you go, but, but I'm not going to. So all of a sudden, Naaman is faced with a dilemma that many of us face. Will we trust God when he withholds what we consider is this vital information? But most of the time in this moment, God's saying, it's your move. Do you trust me? He says, I have my reasons, and, and I'll explain them to you later. But before I give you the reason, the next move, the next moment of faith is yours. And that's tough. Because in essence, that's what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? We all know that relationship is built on trust. We've all heard and we've all read. And, and I believe a lot of us believe that God knows our needs, he knows our best interest, he knows our heart. We believe this idea that he'll never fail us, but do we really trust in that to the point that when he asks us to do anything, regardless of what it is, we say, okay, God, I'm right here with you, let's do this. And that's what we are looking at in our story. And I want you to see that one of the reasons that God withholds information is not because there isn't a why, but it's because he knows who we are. He knows that if he, if, we, if he says, hey, I want you to do this and here's why, what we have a tendency to do is then begin to trust in ourself and not trust in God. Because our tendency is to jump to the what. You know what I mean? When we get the why, we jump to the what, and if we're not careful, we miss the who. And the who in this 
whole story and in our lives is God. We can completely obey and miss that God is the whole thing. We figure in our minds that we did this, we accomplished this, but every once in a while, God rocks our boat and he says, give me your undivided attention. I want you to trust me above everything else. So here's Naaman, and he's standing on the edge of this moment, a moment that could potentially change, well, not potentially, it's going to change his life one way or another forever. And he's got to figure out what he's going to do. But go back to verse 11. And there's, a very, there's two very important words here to understand his mindset. But Naaman went away angry and said, what's the next two words? I thought. Say those two words with me. I thought. Naaman's already written God's script for him, right? Naaman has shown up, and in his mind, he thought it was going to play out this way, almost like vending machine relationship. I show up, I put the money in, you give me what I want on the backside of it. He is disgusted with the prophet. He wanted a show. But fortunately, he had a good friend that says, hey, you need to think about this. So Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Hey, Naaman, if he had said, go slay the dragon, then jump off the temple, would you have done that? Would you have done something extraordinary? Then why not do something simple? So look at what he says. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And the, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. He's cured. He's cured. And I love the last half of, of, verse, of verse 15 of how he doesn't give the leprosy any attention at all at this point. All the attention, all the attention is on how awesome God is. He's not reminiscing in what he had. He's not reminiscing in the challenge. He's living in the awesomeness of God. And I think that that's so important for us to think about and understand. Because you know what the tragedy of disobeying God really is? It's not simply the consequences that come with walking away. It's the fact that you miss God. When you say, I don't trust you, when you say, I'm not going to do what you ask, when you say, I have a better idea, a better thought, I'm going to do it my way, what you're missing is God's awesomeness. You don't get to experience it. You don't get to live in it. You don't get to have that in your life. You're just kind of out of luck. We see all throughout Scripture that most of the time when God reveals himself, he reveals himself in those critical moments, in those moments where it takes all of our trust, all of our faith, it takes us putting our pride aside, becoming humble before him. That's when we truly see the awesomeness of God. And Naaman finally trusts that. Now, it was a process. It took him a moment to get there. But because of that, his life is changed forever. And so he says, there's no God anywhere except in Israel. 
And then he goes on, he says, the prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make a burnt offering and sacrifice to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant on this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon and bow down and he, and he is leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may this Lord forgive your servant for this. Boy, it's weighing on him a little bit, isn't it? He understands that I believe in Jehovah God. I'm going to worship Jehovah God, but I'm going to be put in situations where that's going to be tested, where that's going to, uh, going to be challenged. But he said, in those moments, forgive me because I want God to know that I trust him above everything else. And I'm going to do everything I can to serve him. He goes, I want to be totally obedient. And I believe in the first part here that that's one of the great things of this story is understanding that God wants total obedience. There was nothing magical about the waters in Jordan, was there? Other than the fact that that's where God's was in the story, in this moment. That's where the power of God was. And then Naaman put aside his pride, his thinking, and did what God required. And because of that, he found healing. Healing is always found in God when we trust him. Jesus, when he's talking to the crippled man, he looks at him and he says, take up your bed and walk. And I love this story because this guy didn't look at Jesus and go, well, I've been trying to do that, but I can't, and come up with all these reasons. That wasn't his reply. What did he do? He just got up and he walked. He simply obeyed. For Naaman, it was the same way. It wasn't the first dip, the second dip, the fifth, or the sixth. Every time up to that, that he went down, and came back up, he was still a man with leprosy. But on that seventh time, the moment of total obedience, he comes up a healed man. And when we accept total obedience towards God, when we live in that, God changes us from the inside out. Acts chapter 8, when Philip is shared the gospel, or sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible says that they went down into the water. The eunuch was baptized and went on his way rejoicing. Matter of fact, in every case in the book of Acts, we see that salvation is offered when there is total obedience. Total obedience. Paul is faced with that moment. Paul is faced with the moment of, do I follow God or do I not follow God? In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, it's just put to him real blunt, real plainly. He says, what are you waiting for? Why, why do you keep thinking about this? Why, do you, why are you thinking about, why do you keep weighing on your mind? He says, arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There comes a moment in all of our lives where we have to make a decision. Am I following God or am I not? It's not about going to church, not about sitting in worship. It's about obedience to what God has called us to. Are we going to live a true life of discipleship? Starting in that moment of our baptism and our salvation, are we going to live that? Or are we just going to go through the motions and hope it all works out? God wants total obedience. And in total obedience, we find the Lord. We find his awesomeness. 
and we find his power. So that's part one. That's part of the story that we always hear about, that we always study about, and we always rejoice in. But the ending of the story is not nearly as positive as this part of the story. So verse 19, he tells Naaman, go in peace, Elisha said, after Naaman had traveled some distance. Uh, Gehazi, how do you say that? I had it earlier. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, but by not accepting uh, from him what the Lord brought, or what he brought, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So imagine for yourself, this prophet, Elisha, was probably not a real wealthy man. And if you're his servant, you're even less wealthy than he is. And when Naaman rolls up with this caravan full of stuff, I'm sure this servant's looking at it going, man, our time has arrived. Look at all of this. We don't need anything else anymore. They've brought everything that we need. And he's looking at this situation, and all he can think about is himself, is his own needs, is what he wants and what he can get from this. So, so what does he do? So Gehazi hurried after Naaman, and Naaman saw him running toward him. He got down from his chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything is all right, he answered. My master sent me to say two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged um, Gehazi to accept them. Uh, then tied up two talents of silver and two bags and two sets of clothing. He gave to him two of his ser- he gave to them he gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. Then Gehazi came to the hill. He looked. Uh, he took the things from the servants and put them uh, and put them away in his house. He sent the men on their way. They left. When he went in, he stood before his master Elisha. And he asked him, where have you been? Think about that for just a second. What has Elisha just done? What has he just done? He looked at a guy who was dying of leprosy. Through the power of God, he said, hey, go heal yourself this way. Go heal yourself this way. Is Elisha the guy you want to lie to right now? I mean, Naaman, I get it, all right? Naaman's on his way out of town. He's probably never coming back. I can get out here, and I can take care of this moment, and I can, I can, I can trick this guy. But I'm going to come back and talk to a prophet of God who just told a guy to go wash in the river and be healed, and I think that I can lie to him? And what does he say? Your servant didn't go anywhere. If that's the best he's got, he's got a lot to learn, right? He's got a lot to learn. I want you to think about this for a second. We do this with God. We're really good at doing this with God. We're really good at coming up with alternative plans to what God wants from us. We're really good with coming up with alternative plans with what God wants from us. We're really good at looking at God and going, you know what, God, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. If if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. Or we come to God and we know that what I'm doing is not really what I need to be doing. Go, hey, God, have you thought about this? 
Let me share something with you. I think there's a part of this equation. I know I'm not supposed to be moving in this direction, but if you'll just look at it the way that I'm looking at it, then you'll understand. And then when that doesn't work, when the alternative plan doesn't work, we come in and we go, hey, God, let's try the combo thing. Let's take a little bit of your idea and a little bit of my idea, and let's mix them together. And then if that doesn't work, we do what I call is the stall. Let me pray about it. Let me pray about it. Knowing full well that we're really not wanting to pray about it, we're just wanting to stall. Man, the preacher really got to me this morning. That, that, that lesson pricked my heart. Let me pray about it. But we never change. We just stall. But the sad reality of this is when we do this, what we're really doing is we're looking at God and we're saying, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. And I think there's an interesting dynamic in this particular situation because this servant, this servant is, is a young man who's being trained, who's being mentored, who's being discipled by a prophet. And he's around this all day long. And if we're not careful, sometimes I think we get so used to God that we forget how awesome God really is. So we start coming up with our own ways. We're just so accustomed to it. We forget the awesomeness. And I think he forgets the awesomeness and the amount of obedience that comes along with living in that awesomeness. So what happens to him? But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? I'm sure Elijah's hoping that he gets it, that he understands. I'm sure he's hoping that his next comment is, you know what, you're right. You're right. This is about God. This is not about me. That's Elisha's whole thing. This whole thing is about God. Naaman shows up, and he wants the pomp and circumstance. He wants, he wants the honor. He wants the glory. He wants everybody to still worship him. And Elisha says, go and do this thing that you had no, you were not expecting. I'm not coming out and making a show. I'm not coming out and making a spectacle. I'm not going to wave my arms. I'm not going to say magic words. Just go wash in the river. Why? Because it's not about Elisha. It's not about Naaman. It's about God. The servant missed that. And because of that, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elijah's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. We have a decision to make. When we're faced with that moment of do I trust God or not, we either trust God and live in his awesomeness, or if we're not careful, we don't trust in God and we live in a life of regret. And that regret may not be immediate. This regret is immediate. This regret is immediate. But there will come a time when we keep refusing God that we'll get to a point that we're going to regret that refusal. And it may be eternity. It may be that moment where I'm standing there and he says, hey, away from me. You didn't do what I asked. You didn't follow. The, you weren't totally obedient. And in that moment, we understand that regret. Do you have a choice? Do you have a decision? One decision is awesomeness. One decision is great. One decision is grand. But it's going to cost you something. 
could cost obedience. And sometimes that's not fun. Sometimes that's painful. That's challenging. But the reward is unbelievable. Or you get to choose just to do it your own way, to not trust in God. And that life is more challenging. It's a life of regret and a life of I wish I had. The good thing is, is God's given you a moment right here today in your life, in your walk, to make that decision or to correct that decision. And that's the moment we stand at today. Take a moment, search your heart, and let's pray together as we close. God, we thank you for the chance to be in your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and read about this story of Naaman. God, we all have moments where we question you. We all have moments where we're challenged and we wonder why. Help us in those moments to understand that you are reasonable, that you are trustworthy, that you have us in your hands, and you're never going to ask us to do anything, but you're not going to be right there with us as we walk forward and, and face that challenge and do it. God, I pray for, I pray for those in this room this morning who are struggling with that obedience, who are, are questioning, who are maybe stalling, who are coming up with their own alternatives, God, help them to see that your way is the best way. Help them not to live a life of regret, but a life of awesomeness in you. We thank you so much for Jesus, who, who through his sacrifice gives us the opportunity, the path of salvation, God, to be cleansed and to be whole and to be pure, to be holy. Help us to live in that, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Well, Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Lift us to the joy divine. Instagram. Mortals join the mighty chorus. Which and Twitter. Morning stars began. For the love Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man.